Thank you everybody for joining and welcome to this month's edition of our Cyber Threat Briefing. As you may have seen from our recent update, um, we're going to change the focus very slightly. Um, so whilst we're still going to talk about um, APTs, we're also going to focus a little bit on what's going on in the real world. So we're going to look at the Log4j vulnerability as well. So I'm joined today by Hugh, one of our security consultants. Normal format, really. We're going to tell you a little bit about sort of our perception of APTs. Uh, we're going to talk a bit about the real world and what's going on. And then we're going to talk a little bit about how you can sort of look after yourselves in your organizations and protect yourselves from things like this. So throughout the session, if you've got any questions, please do ask them through the chat. We've got plenty of time to answer questions afterwards, but we'll go ahead and make a start. So Hugh, firstly, welcome again. This seems to be a, a common theme for the two of us now. I'm genuinely interested in today. I know the, the real world moves very quickly. So let's start with some context around APT. So what to you defines an APT? Who are they? What do they do? And really, why are people worried about them? I think it's, you know, it's the words that we use, APT, so Advanced Persistent Threat, that they're pretty good at describing um, you know, what these groups are when we break it down. So you know, firstly, they are advanced, they're really highly skilled individuals, usually operating in groups, sometimes nation state sponsored. So they really are at the top of their game. So advanced. The persistent comes in where you know you might typically find a small um, organized crime group just scanning away um, uh, across the internet, um, hitting every every organization, every IP address they can find on a certain board to look for something. But APTs are, are different, they are persistent, so they will carefully think about who they're going to be targeting. They will spend quite a lot of time before they even touch the network thinking about you know, the, the best ways in, uh, what they're going to look to obtain. They will try and try and try, and they will persist until they succeed. And then they'll persist again once they're on the network. So they won't go for a smash and grab approach typically, where, whereas a, you know, a, ransomware, a ransomware gang will get in, cause as much damage as possible and ask for a ransom. And an APT might lie dormant in your network for you know, a year or two, trying to go unnoticed, gathering as much data, as much information as they can, um, and then potentially also leave without you knowing, but also that they'll, they'll probably um, you know, establish some level of persistence in your network and they might just stop accessing that. And then they'll go away and probably you know, sell your data or, or something like that. And they are threats as well. They are threat actors. They are not bots, they're not scripts. They are highly skilled individuals working for, you know, towards a goal. So I guess that the three key things out of that then is obviously the resourcing side of it, the capability side, and also the funding. I mean, is it fair to say that these kind of persistent threats, these are going to be working, you know, potentially alongside nation states, you know, they're potentially state sponsored. And, you know, who are they looking at, Hugh? What's their kind of target? Because the advanced persistent bit to me makes sense. But, you know, what are they ultimately looking for? So, um, as, as you mentioned, you know, some of these groups are state-sponsored, so their motives might differ somewhat from what you typically expect. They're putting quite a lot of effort in, you know, to, to their actions. So they're not going to be going after, you know, a, an individual's WordPress site. They're going to want some level of payoff from their actions. Typically, you know, you'd expect that to be financial, siphoning funds, or selling data. But due to the fact that a lot of these groups are also working with nation states quite closely, it's also important to consider that political angle as well. So 
you know, the, the nations, uh, the APTs might not specifically work for the nation state, but they might work with them. So if they were deciding to conduct an attack at a certain time, they might get a seer from that nation state as to when will be the most opportune time for them both, you know, during an election or something like that. Yeah, so when I guess we're looking at the threat landscape as an organisation, we're looking at kind of a different level of threat actor here. So who would I be if I'm concerned about APTs? I mean, you mentioned we're not looking at small organisations, but is it fair to say they're only targeting large organisations? Or do you think there's that space in the middle where they're going to get a balance of good return from their actions as well? Yeah, I think it's important not to forget that the larger an organisation is, typically the better their controls so while Google would offer a, a huge reward for an APT, they're going to be putting a lot more effort in to you know, achieve anything there. So definitely smaller organizations that still have you know, significant revenue, significant prospects, but potentially aren't so mature that they've got all of the controls, all the processes in place, they are you know, really good pickings for an APT. So really key consideration when we're looking at risk then from that perspective, because obviously you, you mentioned there the maturity of control. So there's obviously a balance here in understanding what our critical assets are and, and ultimately what we're protecting as well. So what are potentially some of the other areas that we could be looking at that give ourselves you know, a, a bit more knowledge and understanding of what's going on and who might be targeting us? A really good resource is the, the MITRE attack framework. They've got you know, a pretty comprehensive list there of um, a large number of APTs and the tactics, techniques and procedures that they use. You can have a look at the MITRE attack framework. It's freely available, which is good. Maybe have a look through some of your recent you know, penetration testing reports or anything like that. You find, for example, that it was possible for the testing team to um, you know, conduct an art poisoning attack against your, your network, where well, you can look on the MITRE attack framework and you can look under ARP cache poisoning, and it will give you a list of APTs that actively use that technique. And then you can, again, go to their page, you can see the sorts of organizations that they target, and you can sort of fill in the blanks and get a picture of, you know, are these guys likely to be looking at me? Yeah, I, I think just looking at the chat, I think a few people have guessed where we're going to go next. So before we get there, I'm just going to launch the poll because um, I think it'd be really interesting to see whether people you know, recognise whether they feel that they've been targeted by an APT. So I'm going to leave that running for a little while, because as you've all pointed out, naturally, the big topic of conversation at the moment is the Log4j vulnerability. So, Hugh, let's talk a little bit about that. Obviously, it was discovered late last week. You know, there's been a lot of noise about what it is. Um, do you want to explain a little bit about what it is, what it means? And then, you know, we'll talk a bit more about who's affected and kind of how how they can be sort of looking to, to understand a bit more about it, really. Yeah, sure. So um, I'd start off by saying, you know, this is not one to be ignored. This is probably, you know, I'd say the most significant sort of thing that's come out this year, maybe the last few years, because it's it's remotely exploitable from, from the web. And a lot of applications are using Log4j, and then it's trivial to exploit. There's where what... It was first thing just before the weekend, the first sort of discussion around it occurred. And now, you know, there's many, many um, snippets of exploit code that people can be trying. So basically, yeah, if you're using Log4j in your, you know, your, your applications, I'd basically say, you know, assume breach for now until you know any better. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think, you know, a lot of people have been sort of making noise about it itself. And I think there's a few things we've spotted through some of the research over recent days about kind of things to look out for. So the actual 
vulnerability itself exists, you know, primarily in Java and within Apache, doesn't it? And I think the point you made about sort of this remote code execution, I think it allows any amount of Java to be executed remotely as the user that's being compromised ultimately, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, it's Java applications using using log4j. So you know, that's that's a whole host of things, you know, things from Cisco, things from Atlassian, cPanel, a lot of applications are using it. And while we've got a, a patch now for, you know, this specific vulnerability from Log4j, some of the difficulties we're having are for pieces of software where that is bundled in as part of a package. If that specific vendor hasn't updated that yet, then people are having to, you know, go in and manually fix that. And yeah, like you said, without, without boring everyone with, you know, the minutiae, it's if you're able to get a, a small string into a web server log that is then passed by log4j. So that could be you know, in, in the URL request, it could be in the headers, it could be any parameters that are sent with that web request. Then um, you know, this can, uh, that can execute any command on the underlying operating system. As you said, crucially, it, it occurs in the context of the web application. So you know, for, for a lot of web servers, that will hopefully be www data, a relatively low privileged user. But if you're running your web up, uh, your, your web server is as root, then you know you could have some issues there, and that's why things like principle of least privilege are really important, in, you know, to protect against situations like this. Yeah, Yasmin's just answered, uh, you know, probably one of my next questions, which is, you know, how do I know that I'm affected by it? I mean, you know, by the description there, you know, it seems like everybody could be affected. That you know, Java is obviously a, a widely used programming language. You know, the log4j is bundled into pre-canned applications. I mean, how do I know if I'm vulnerable to it? And, and ultimately, you know, what should people be looking for? It's a really good question. Obviously, I'm assuming a lot of people need the answer to this. One of the brilliant things about the internet, right, is everyone works together. There are already so many guides up, bits of information out to help people. At Shortcloud here, we've posted a blog page detailing, you know, how you can identify if you've been compromised and, you know, vulnerability remediation guidance. The NCSC have posted an advisory as well. Basically, boils down to going through your app servers and checking your log4j versions uh, just to make sure that you know we are fully up to date. And then also going through our web app logs and looking for references to JNDI. It's typically not used. There are some genuine use cases for it, but if you don't know that you're using it and you're also starting to see references to JNDI in your logs, that's a you know, really good indicator that you've been targeted. And if your version, you know, if you're not on the latest version and you're seeing those references, there's a very good chance that that attack was successful. Yeah, I think you know, coming back to something that we often see with APTs is them sort of covering their tracks. So I guess something else for people to look out for will be potentially if the vulnerability has been patched, but they, they don't have any reference to patching it themselves. Is that something you would see in kind of a, a remote code exploit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the number of groups that are going after this at the moment and the, you know, the potential payoffs for, for exploitation, given the um, sort of triviality of the exploit, once they're in, they're going to want to close that door to sort of make sure that they're the only guys with access to your network so they can you know, take all that loot for themselves. It's quite a common occurrence. I've seen it quite a bit in my experience where um, the, at the NCSC, normally you know, jointly with the NSA in the States, will release an advisory. Clients will go away, they'll have a look, and they'll say, okay, it looks like we're, we're fine, we're not, we're not vulnerable to that. 
And then you dig a bit deeper and then I didn't fix it. Did you fix that? And then they check the, you know, the logs from two weeks before the advisory and it was vulnerable then. And that's a really strong indicator then that, you know, someone's got in, closed the hole without regular testing and, and, and good um, awareness of, of what's going on. You might miss that entirely. Yeah, so you're looking for a different backdoor at this point, then you're looking for something that could potentially be anywhere really by that point, which obviously makes it a lot harder. So there was a question um, that I missed earlier around it being concerning that it's difficult to fix as different applications use Log4j in different ways. So what, what can people be doing to help kind of, you know, I know you've given some advice around what to look for, but how can they look to fix things that operate differently? I mean, is that just going to take time or is there anything that they can do to kind of expedite that? I'm sure that, you know, most of these vendors will, will be actively working on updates right now. I'm sure during the course of this threat briefing, we've you know, probably seen a few major applications re- release their own patch. But, you know, it's, it's not really something we can just say, I'll oh, sit and wait and it'll be fine. So you can go through um, sort of the, the nuclear option would be to um, look for the, the class that's used with, with this. And it's it, all, all, this, all of the technical details are, you know, in the short our blog post. And like I said, on that NCSE advisory, you can just disable these classes entirely if you're not using them, which, you know, reducing the attack surface, always a good idea to, to get rid of functionality that we're not actually using. And we can um, set some flags to false. Again, the, the details on what we need to be looking for and the, the options that we need to be changing are all in these advisories that we can, you know, I'm sure they'll be linked. Yeah, so we'll make sure that those are linked as well then, which, you know, hopefully will give people a, a good starting point of where to go and find a bit more information. So I guess just before we move on to kind of talking a bit more or, or drawing back to APTs, um, I just want to go through the results of the poll. And, you know, interestingly, the balance, I guess, is at both ends of the spectrum. So, uh, you know, five people have answered kind of at the lower end in terms of the likelihood and six people technically are are at the higher end. Just interesting to me, I guess, in in terms of people's understanding and perception of, of their potential threat landscape and, you know, whether an APT has truly been targeting them. So interesting food for thought. We'll sort of publish that um, after the event if, if anybody's interested. But I think it's always good to be aware of persistent threats, even if you don't think that you're a key target. You know, there, there could be a reason why those APTs are targeting you, um, which I guess brings me to another point that I had you. We've obviously talked a lot about you know, the vulnerability in isolation, and we've talked about specific fixes for it as a zero day. Um, And I'm sure you're right, you know, people are working hard to release fixes and and get those pushed out as soon as possible. So for organisations, there's obviously some guidance that we've given around where they could go and start looking. But what are the common things that help us protect against these, you know, in the future? Because obviously zero days are going to come out all the time, you know, the more pressing ones are going to need us to have a good sort of robust security posture, you know, what are some of the other things that people can do? You know, is this really about getting back to basics, making sure we've got, you know, good cyber hygiene, good patching, you know, how can we help to kind of put ourselves in the best position when these zero days are are discovered? Good cyber hygiene, good practice wouldn't have prevented this this exploit being used against an organization. But if you've got brilliant segregation, you've got your application running as WWW data, then beyond probably the database that your application is talking with, that's pretty much it. There's not much scope there, uh, providing you know, everything's tidy inside your network for lateral movement or escalation or anything like that. So we can really limit the scope of potential issues 
just by going, as you say, going back to basics, considering, you know, your threat landscape, considering your organization, keeping on top of threat intelligence, you know, who's going to be targeting you, I think is really important before you can start thinking about the defenses and the mitigations you're going to implement. You need to understand what and who you're defending against. So I think that's a crucial step. And then we can start to look at, you know, some of the controls, obvious ones, you know, things like phishing are really commonly used. It's pretty much the same across the board, right? The same as, as the, the mitigations we're talking about when we're discussing things like ransomware. All of these things can, you know, their impacts can really be minimized through good basics, good hygiene, and following the, the good practice guidance. Yeah. I guess drawing back to something you said earlier, Hugh, I mean, people can't prevent these, can they? They can only put themselves in the best position. So what would people's incident response look like at this point if they're getting questions from their customers, if they're being asked questions about whether they're vulnerable? I mean, if you don't truly know at this point, you know, what's the best kind of approach to take to provide some kind of reassurance that you're managing the situation? I think that's a good point. And Zero days happen, right? Your client, your customers, the people you're working with, they're not going to, well, they shouldn't be flabbergasted and shocked that you were using Java. That isn't the problem. Just holding your hands up and saying, yes, we were vulnerable, is not your fault, right? It's a zero day. By definition, there is no warning for this. So what's really important is that you, you know, your, your response plans are well-defined. We're going through now, we're looking at the versions of everything in use, we're checking our logs, and, and then, you know, let your clients, your customers know the steps you're taking, and if there's any indication that anything untoward has happened with, you know, any of their, any of their data. Yeah, thanks for that. And there's another question that kind of draws back to the APTs again. I mean, who do you think is, or is there any noise about people that are targeting the Log4j vulnerability at the moment? Um, are there any APTs that potentially people would have heard of that they should be kind of thinking about? APT attribution to events normally comes not immediately, can take some time for these, uh, you know, the indicators to be put together. So we've not really got any, you know, direct pinning anyone particular at the moment, but we, we are seeing that some of the larger botnets, it's been added to those, right? So they're now scanning and probing for those. So definitely the groups that control a large amount of the botnet space are actively looking at Log4j, yeah. Yeah, so I think the key thing, and, and obviously it is still quite fresh, that there hasn't been a headline attack yet, has there, where you know somebody's ultimately fallen foul to a significant breach. But these zero days can be around for a long time, can't they? I guess one of the other things, you know, drawing right back to what we were saying around APTs and, and what makes them different you know, they're potentially paying for information about zero days ahead of them being released, aren't they? So what do you think the likelihood is that potentially this has been around for a lot longer than obviously it's been publicised? I mean, is there a potential here where it's been sat there for a long time and, you know, we've potentially seen it, but not really dealt with it because we haven't needed to? You know, what, what's your thoughts on how we should be looking for, for things that may not look right? Yeah, I mean, I was reading some reports earlier and they suggested that the first sort of exploit of this was seen, I think, on the on the first or the second of December. So that's you know a good half a month that these groups have had potentially to be working on this, but you know before it went public, you know, which is a not insignificant amount of time for something which is so readily available online to exploit and so trivial to actually conduct itself. I think a really important thing, and you know, 
the way that information like that comes out is through you know intelligence sharing and things like that. So if, if we see anything curious looking that you know you you raise that with someone and then that can then go back into the intelligence sharing community and we can start to see okay this has happened here this has happened there um, it looks like something larger might be going on. Okay, thanks you. So I haven't seen any more questions come in. I mean, if you do have follow-up questions that you want to pose to myself or to Hugh or any of our team, then please do get in touch with us after the session. I hope that some of that was useful. And I appreciate, you know, we haven't given you fully contextualised examples for all of your environments, but um, go and have a read of the blog, have a look at the advisory documents published by the NCSC. Think about, you know, what's been going on in the environment, you know, particularly in relation to the log4j, you know, in inclusions, have a look at sort of what looks normal and, and what doesn't look normal. But I mean, hopefully there was some useful information for some of you in there. You know, APTs are a very real threat by their very nature, as Hugh broke down at the beginning, you know, that they are advanced, they are persistent, you know, and they are true threats. So think about those things that you're protecting, think about the technologies that you've got in place to do that. Think about, you know, the threat landscape and ultimately why threat actors would be interested in your organization. And, you know, this is just one example of lots of zero days that will continue to come. So good kind of back to basics principles, good strong management of your security posture um, is, is critical to help protect against these. You know, whilst you're not going to be fully resilient to them, ultimately, you're going to give yourselves a, a good opportunity to prevent attackers from moving around within your environment and ultimately, you know, exploiting that kind of target that they're looking for, be it information or financial gain or combination of the two. But if, as I say, if you do have any questions, feel free to come and talk to Hugh and I, um, talk to us on social. Otherwise, thanks all for attending. Um, thank you for your time. We'll look forward to speaking to you next time.